Ready? All right. Today, the house on the rock. This, it honestly, like, it gives me the feeling of, like, what a kid going to Disneyland has to feel like. Like, I want to grab everyone and shake them and be like, do you have any idea what you're about to see? <laughs> well, have you, have you struggled with it as much as me, like, describing what this is it's, to people? It's, 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 impo- it's almost impossible. We start each episode by saying that this is a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And... Well, the House on the Rock is almost impossible to describe. I honestly think that the best way to start describing it is strange, incredible, and wondrous. And in all honesty, I don't know that there would be an out of Subscura without the House on the Rock. Here we are. Oh, really? On this episode, we go deep into the House on the Rock. After this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, so we're, yeah, in Spring Green, Wisconsin, driving by Taliesin, Frank Lloyd Wright's famous rural Wisconsin home. But we are not going there. That is not what we are interested in today. The first time I went to the House on the Rock, I was only like 12, and my parents took me as part of a road trip, and it, it just, like, completely enraptured me. I could not believe that a place like that existed in the world. And I still feel this way. My feeling about it hasn't changed that much, actually. We are arriving. These big, weird plant sculptures uh, covered with dragons and go under this big gate. Okay. Now we're walking through the entrance of the house. It is carpeted, the ceiling. This is the rock. The, The rock is in the house. Yeah. Hi, Harry. Hello. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good. How are you? This is Harry Huggins. Harry is a producer for a few uh, Stitcher's other shows. Um, What we've been hearing is tape from when you and I visited together back in July. Hearing it again, it's like watching uh, old home movies. It makes me so excited all over. I know. I'm right back there. But I assume everyone else is wondering what's going on. Has has no idea. (laughs) Like there's nowhere that you could begin that would make sense, I don't think. I so here's where okay here's where I think we should begin. I'm going to tell you the story that I was told about it when I was 12 and visited for the first time. So this is this is the story I heard. 
that there was once uh, a young Wisconsin architect named Alex Jordan Jr. who wanted to work for the famous architect Frank Lloyd Wright. And Frank Lloyd Wright was working nearby on Taliesin. And the young architect, you know, got his courage together and took architectural drawings to show Frank Lloyd Wright. And Frank Lloyd Wright took one look at them and said, I wouldn't hire you to build a chicken coop. And okay, but look, listen, this is the story I heard. This is the story. I know. And anyway, the architect went back home, but he wasn't going to give up. And to spite Frank Lloyd Wright, he began building his own crazy sort of prairie school uh, on steroids building, what I sometimes call a kind of a Frank Lloyd wrong oh, on this great tower of rock that overlooked Taliesin. But but even that wasn't enough. And after he built it, he started expanding and expanding and filling it with collections of armors, of, of dolls, of circuses. Uh, and he built and built and added and added until he had created this incredible house you're standing in now, young Dylan. And that young architect, Alex Jordan Jr., was the single greatest creative mind that Wisconsin has ever produced. The end. This is the story that I was told, basically, when I went yeah. To, yeah. to House on the Rock. So, so about, about that version of the story. <laughs> yeah. Don't. You, this is my childhood memory. Uh, <laughs> but I know that, yeah, it, it's. You, you know it's not true. I know it's not quite true. So, so Harry. What is the real story of this incredible place? Okay, so Alex Jordan Jr. was a real person. He was born in 1914 in Madison, Wisconsin, where he lived most of his life. Um, he went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, but dropped out after a year. Came from a pretty well-off family. Um, he had odd jobs, like a taxi driver, but he mostly helped his dad maintain an apartment building the family owned. Sounding very like uh, like standard standard person. So how did he go to creating something as singular as the House on the Rock? Well, so in, it started in the 40s. So there's part of Wisconsin he lives in is pretty hilly with lots of big rocks. It's called the Wisconsin Dells. There's a big rock known as Deer Shelter Rock. And this rock sticks up 75 feet above the surrounding forest. And the top is an uneven platform roughly the size of an Olympic swimming pool. Hmm. Um, it served as a picnicking spot for locals. But Alex Jordan Jr. liked the spot so much that he worked out an agreement with the landowner to let him build a small cabin on the rock to serve as his own personal retreat. And, and then, and, but from there, obviously, it, it grew in, in scale. Yeah, a lot. Uh, he basically expanded the house to be like 13 rooms, very, uh, very mid-century modern style. You can tell it's inspired by Japanese architecture, even if it doesn't really adhere to the same principles of minimalism. Um, and the inside is truly unique. Yeah. You know, there's trees and bits of the real rock itself sticking out everywhere. Um, very low ceilings, huge limestone fireplaces, built-in couches with shag carpeting everywhere. And and most importantly, you could look out into the forest below thanks to these giant windows cantilevered out over the forest. And, and so my guy, Alex, was basically kind of living a pretty, like, swanky life. He had this, like, cool palatial estate on top of this rock that his dad helped fund. And, and he was, like, just, like, throwing parties in this this place, right? He was kind of hanging out. Yeah, he invited a bunch of the intellectuals from like the artists and the writers and stuff from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and they would come and have parties at this house. I, I would love I would love to go to a party. I know. I'm sad I didn't get an invite. Totally. But so what? Okay, but still, that's still a far cry from the thing that you and I spent hours walking through this summer, 
What happened to transform it from just a cool guy's house into the thing it is today? Well, people were coming up to see if they could come and look inside the house because it looked pretty cool and you could see it from the highway. Uh, And basically his dad was like, you need to start charging admission for this. So he did. Yeah, so he would take all this admission money he was making and basically just like turn it back into expanding the collection, expanding the place and just filling it with this incredible set of unusual objects. Yeah, and he built and built and built more places to hold all these tchotchkes he was collecting, some East Asian art, Tiffany lamps, these weird collections that were all around the Midwest and some old museums that were shutting down. He collected a lot of these really cool player pianos and then also some kind of creepy things. So we're looking at a tiny little box, a little diorama scene of a man lying in bed, uh, and it's called The Dying Drunkard. And you put a a token into it, and it's a little piece of automata. So it starts, the the drunkard starts sort of moving around in bed, writhing, lifting his arms, and little skeletons and devils are like popping out all over the place. It's pretty, it's a pretty (laughs) dark scene uh, done in a very kind of like cute, charming way. And the description just says, the dying drunkard, British Railroad Station, 1870. One token. And it's just tiny figurines that just like a little bit of animation. And these are real. These are like real. I've actually seen, I think, I've seen this scene. So, so that's just one of the many of these little yeah. dioramas scattered around, but it, it's really not scratching the surface, like not even close. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> and once Alex sees that he can make some money from the house, he begins to really dream big. Really, really big. <laughs> wow. You are suddenly in a gigantic room, enormous, and taking up the center of the entire room is a sculpture of a giant squid fighting a sperm whale. And it, it, it is the size of the Statue of Liberty. If you laid the Statue of Liberty down on its side, it's this big. It is... Oh, <laughs> oh I got it. So, this is what pretty much all our tape from it, the House of Rock is like. I mean, we try to have a moment just to, like, talk, but the house just won't allow a moment of silence. You know, you can't just have a whale. You have to have an automated music machine blaring Octopus's garden. I mean, I I honestly love it. Uh, like, okay, to help help give even a rough sense of what is inside the house on the rock, I we are going to do a volley. I'm going to basically say something that I remember, and then you respond with something that you remember. So there is a collection of medieval armor. Oh, yeah. There's also the medieval armor posed recreating these battles with, like, elephants and stuff. Oh, yeah. With gory, gory <laughs> battle scenes. There is a huge wing that is nothing but immaculate miniature circuses. And right next to that, there is a, like, three-story carousel, miniature carousel, completely full of terrifying dolls, like staring you in the face and telling you that you're going to die. There is a collection of weird antique guns, which some are, are it is suspicious whether they are, they are real or not. There's these fake Rube Goldberg machines, giant, taking up huge chunks of the room right next to just a pizza place that you can the, buy pizza at. That's right. That's the like one stop for food. <laughs> There's uh 
there's a room that has 400 mannequins turned into angels on the top of it for no <laughs> for no obvious reason. It makes the wall of taxidermied owls seem pretty tame. It, it, it the list truly goes like on and on and on. It it is really spectacle after spectacle. Yeah. But despite being spectacular, not everything is quite as it seems. Mm-hmm. Some of these collections are actually um manufactured, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's interesting. You know, if you take a a close look, like you'll find that the Tiffany lamps aren't actually Tiffany lamps. They're made they were made by a different company uh called Bauer and Cobble. And in fact, in the 70s an employee at the house complained to the Justice Department yeah. in Wisconsin saying that basically they were defrauding people by having signs that that claimed these were authentic antiques as opposed to uh, things that were sometimes made inside the house. Uh, and, and this is one of the things about being in there. It's like there are parts of the house that have real trees growing through them. And then there are parts that have identical fake trees. But you yeah. don't necessarily take the time to differentiate uh, because it's never been, I don't think the point was ever provenance. Like it's a pure unbridled visual spectacle. And and I think people still really want to believe that this was one guy, one kind of eccentric billionaire who like collected these things and everything costs a million dollars. But there's another story that gets kind of lost in this, which is that uh, it's not just Alex Jordan who's behind this. There's actually an incredible group of artists who helped create these things. Right. And many of them helped design like some of the biggest attractions there. Like there was John Havensack who helped make the Mikado, which is my favorite music machine there. And he worked with Terry English, who is the official armorer to Queen Elizabeth II. And this guy was making bits of armor to add to the House on the Rock armor collection. Right. So like Alex Jordan Jr., what he did do was bring together carpenters, gardeners, metal workers, uh, sculptors, painters, electronics experts. Uh, He even had a real team of antiques buyers and collectors who found him uh, stuff out in the world. So all of this is to say that although these kind of myths, the way I thought about the house when I was 12, isn't quite right, uh, and it was this big collaborative effort, it still was Alex Jordan's vision to create the space for all these artists to build the house on the rock. And so I think of it basically as an art collective, as one massive, immersive folk art experience uh, that is just, there's nothing else like it in the world. And that is perfectly embodied in the last stop on our tour, which was a collaboration with the artist Tom Every. I th- I think this might be my favorite room, the organ room. It's un it is unreal. This is like the most steampunk room I've ever <laughs> in, in been existence. in. There are giant mash tuns and kettles and boil kettles and stuff from breweries and mixers with enormous organs. I've I've I think I've been told that I've read that this is multiple ones combined. That Right, that makes it a has, lot of sense. It has to be, because there's a thousand buttons, like more than a thousand buttons. <laughs> and then, obviously, in the middle of the room, you have to have what they call the world's biggest chandelier. 
it was a perfect metaphor for the house. It's not the world's biggest chandelier exactly. It's like 200 smaller chandeliers pushed together. Yeah. Well, there's and the chandelier, the smaller chandeliers are made up of other lamps. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's wild. This is one of the rooms for me that most uh, embodies the idea that this is art. This is just someone's vision of how to make a spectacularly visually incredible space. And it doesn't need coherence. It doesn't need to explain itself. It just needs to be strange and beautiful and 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 magical. And, like, it, it achieves that. You know what I mean? Like, it really achieves that. And the best spaces in the house, they don't need to explain themselves to you at all. They can just exist. And you have to explain yourself to them. <laughs> Harry, thank you. I had so much fun going to the House on the Rock with you. Oh, absolutely my pleasure. And we skipped over plenty of extraordinary parts of the House on the Rock, so you'll still have some surprises in store if you ever make it out to Spring Green. You'll have a, you'll have a lot of surprises in store. <laughs> I could not recommend it enough. I honestly tell anyone I know who's going anywhere near it to make time to go there. And, and I should say that those giant flower pots with the dragons that we saw on the way in, they were designed by uh, Tom Kupsch, who wrote the biography of Alex Jordan and The House on the Rock. And he gets into all of this background. The book is called Never Enough, The Creative Life of Alex Jordan and was indispensable in researching this episode, which was produced by the wonderful Harry Huggins. The rest of our production team includes... Doug Baldinger. Chris Naka. Camille Stanley. Willis Ryder Arnold. Sarah Wyman. Manolo Morales. Tracy Samuelson. John Delore. Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. And this episode was sound designed by John Delore. And mixed by Luce Fleming. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Thanks for coming on this journey with us. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high.